it is really awesome, you know, getting to work with like Bon Appetit and with like Vogue because of the talent that comes with it. This is the Hello 20s podcast. My name is Jan and I'm your host. I'm an online content creator trying to navigate life while in my 20s and sprinkling a little knowledge and wisdom here and there. Let's face it, we don't have it all figured out, but we can learn a little from each other along the way, and I'm so glad you guys are tuning in on today's podcast. I'm so excited to release this one. All right, so should we get started? Let's do it. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Hello 20s. Today, we are doing a Friday Friends, and I have a special friend here with me. Her name is Lauren. And do you want to just introduce yourself first, Yeah, Lauren? sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Lauren, and I actually met Jan in college. We were both in Greek life together. And currently, I am a graphic designer for Condé Nast in New York City. So today, we are going to talk about Lauren's uh, career as a graphic designer how she navigated her way to her current job, moving and living in New York City right after college, and just putting yourself in your work out there and having that confidence to do so. Before we get into the topics of today's episode, I just wanted to do like a little check-in to see how you've been with the whole social distancing, quarantine, like situation going on with COVID-19? Yeah, I was lucky enough to flee New York City like right before the lockdown started. And I've just been working from home ever since. I guess that's a perk of being a graphic designer. It's really easy to just pack up your laptop and work elsewhere. So yeah, it's been kind of crazy. I'm really glad I'm home because both my parents are of like the at-risk demographic. And so it's like really nice to be able to run errands for them and to just like take care of them because I was so worried when everything started happening. I'm like glad that you're safe and like you're in California, right? Yeah, I went home. Is it nice there? the weather oh my gosh you know what you think but actually it's been rainy all week and it was rainy last week and all I want is some sunshine so I could just sit outside for a little but hopefully soon it's actually been pretty um sunny and really nice back in Nova that's what I've heard everyone I see on Instagram on the east coast is like basking in warm weather and I'm like really I look outside and it's just all clouds All right. Um, so I actually wanted to also ask you how have you, I don't know, you work from home and I know what it's like to work from home as well. And I just like sometimes get in a rut of things and don't feel motivated. Have you ever had that since working from home? Oh my gosh, totally. And since I am on the West Coast, but my headquarters is on the East Coast, kind of the trade-off of coming home was that I still have to work East Coast hours. And that means waking up at 5.30 in the morning to make sure that like, if I have meetings that day, I'm in like a sweater and not pajamas. And at least throw my hair in a ponytail, wash my hair. Like, you know, I just need to make sure I don't look like I just rolled out of bed when I hop onto calls. And that was so demotivating. The first like six or seven days that I was home, I literally slept next to my laptop so that when my alarm rolled, like when my alarm would wake me up at like 5.45, I would just open my laptop, log in, and then like get online on Slack and then go and like wash my face and do everything. But it was so hard. I literally was sleeping next to my laptop because I couldn't get out of bed. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I would be so anxious. Yeah, it wasn't fun. And I wouldn't say I'm a morning person. But it has been nice in the sense that 
I wake up, I like get to work right away. And then by 2pm my time I'm done. And that's freed up so much time to work on freelance stuff and like work on my podcast. Because I know that if I didn't have to wake up at 6am every day, I'd probably stay and like sleep in until 10am. And so I do get a lot of productivity out of it. I guess that's the silver lining. (laughs) Yeah, it's always good to look for like the silver lining in situations like this. Like you mentioned, you talked about having time to freelance and podcast. I was actually listening to your podcast earlier this morning with your um, new episode. Oh, thank you. It's so good. Okay, do you want to just tell, I guess we'll like hop around a little bit because I wanted to talk about podcasts, but since like you brought it up, um, how did you get to like wanting to start a podcast? Oh my gosh. So I have always listened to podcasts, but I don't think I really realized that I could start one until senior year, second semester. I was interning at USA Today and my desk buddy who sat right behind me and was like my North Star that entire internship was the head of podcasts for USA Today. And she was just like so encouraging and I didn't have any time at all during that semester like you know how it goes y'all I'm like between classes and work and like Mm -hmm. wanting to enjoy senior year I was like yeah I can't dedicate the time that I would want to launch this but all throughout college I have gotten just so many dms on LinkedIn on Instagram about my internships and like about work and I've answered so many like questions and a lot of them are redundant you know people have very similar questions and I figured I should a either start a blog and make this a resource for people or I should start a podcast because I wouldn't say writing is like my strong suite, but I I can talk. (laughs) And then finally, I just decided like six months into living in New York that it was time that I had like found my footing enough that I could dedicate the time to finally start this. So it's been crazy, but I'm glad that I'm here now. And I'm so glad you listened. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. What's your podcast name for those who want to look it up? Oh my gosh, yes. Wow. It is called Rookies in the Real World. And we drop every Wednesday. So if you want a little taste of career, what it's like to move to New York City, and just overall general career advice, feel free to listen. That would be awesome. You know what I really like um, about your podcast is that even though we're this is episode two that you just dropped. Um, but I saw on your Instagram, you posted how like the first week would be a certain like a first week of each month would be a certain topic and the second week would be a certain topic. And I really like that idea. How did you come up with that? Thank you. Um, well, I guess part of listening to podcasts is that I figured out what I'd like about certain shows and what I thought could be stronger for certain shows and kind of took my favorite aspects of my favorite podcasts and was like, okay, if I were to make my own, like what would make the most sense for me? And I really like being able to have like accountability and predictability with what content I'm getting. And given there are several topics I wanted to talk about, I knew I needed to organize it to hold myself accountable. And it kind of just worked out that There were like four overarching topics and there's four weeks in a month and it just made sense. Great. What are your favorite podcasts to listen to? I'm always looking for like new ones. (gasps) Oh, okay. Well, I might be a little basic with this, but I have like a podcast routine. So Uh they're like the daily ones I listen to. So every morning when I wake up, I listen to NPR News Now, The Daily, and then Snacks Daily in that order. 
because NPR is like good to just figure out what's going on. The Daily lately, the news has been extremely dismal and I can't end on like a sad note. But then Snacks Daily is just like the most fun finance podcast ever. I love it so much. Um, And then the ones I listen to for funsies are Call Her Daddy. That's probably my like guilty pleasure. It's so funny. Um, And then Girls Gotta Eat. And there is a podcast that I recently got into called Career Fluencer. And it's just like quick 12 minute max interviews with different people in different industries about their career and how they got there and it's just really fascinating so I've been into that lately oh that sounds interesting I might look into that one are you um a big fan of longer podcasts or shorter podcasts I've asked like my Instagram um followers this too it's interesting to see what people like I feel like I am more of like kind of in the median I really like 30 minute podcasts is probably like my favorite like the daily is pretty good about staying around 30 to 45 minutes but I just feel like I don't have the attention span to listen to the same thing for like an hour an hour and a half with the exception of crime junkie that's probably it (laughs) (laughs) yeah I agree I like listening to a episode like in one sitting I don't like like chopping it up me too go back (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so one last question I wanted to ask you in regards to your podcast journey is how far in advance did you plan this whole thing? Because for me, I planned mine, I think like three months before I actually released and launched it. Oh my gosh. Okay, three months. Let's see. I was preparing for this. I would say about the same, like three months is when I started to think about the cover art, the logo, building out a content po- like calendar and plan. But yeah. I basically just have a big Google sheet with like the four pillars, a bunch of topics, and then trying to figure out who would be best fit under which topic. And mm-hmm. I like kind of knew going in, I left most of the guests empty because I figured I would like meet so many people along the journey and kind of like fill it in as I went. But I had three episodes recorded before... I launched. That's good. Thank you. I mean, it all happened right before coronavirus. And so now I'm like having to figure out remote, like recording and everything. And you've given me so many tips. So thank you. But yeah, it's been I'm trying I'm trying to stay fluid. And I'm trying not to let coronavirus derail any of my plans. That's good. I can see you guys like you have so much potential. And I'm so excited to hear like future. (gasps) All right. So I want to talk a little bit about your career as a graphic designer. When did you know you like wanted to be a graphic designer? Oh my goodness. I'm gonna sound like that totally cliche in the movies unrealistic but I've known I wanted to be a graphic designer since the seventh grade so mm-hmm. I grew up first gen Asian American which I'm sure you can relate to my parents are like no you can't be a creative originally I wanted to be a director I love cinematography and I'm a huge movie buff but my parents are like no you can't do that that's never gonna happen and then I was like okay well, if I can't do video, then I'll switch to photo and was actually a photographer. Um, I picked up my first DSLR in the sixth grade and I was a sports photographer in high school. And photography is what led me to design as I like messed around in Photoshop and did photo photo manipulations. I actually found out I was better at like the design and the editing than the actual photography and was like, okay, well, this is cool. This is a thing. But I don't think I like 
really, really thought that this could be a career option until my senior year of high school. I was editor-in-chief of my high school yearbook, won a few awards in like layout design. And that's when my parents were kind of like, all right, I guess she can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I eventually won them over. But yeah, it's been, it feels like a lifelong process, honestly. Right now you are a graphic designer, graphic or digital designer. What is it? A little bit of both. I mean, a digital designer is the type of graphic designer, I would say, and that's the role that I do at my workplace, but I'm a freelance designer on the side, and that is just, like, so broad in what I do that, yeah, just graphic design and as, like, a general umbrella. So, um, for those who don't know your company and what they do, do you want to just give, like, a little snippet an idea yeah so I work in the entertainment studio so Condé Nast Entertainment um, for the parent company Condé Nast and our brands are Vogue, GQ, Wired, Bon Appetit, uh, Vanity Fair to name a few so I work directly with these brands on the video side I do some logo animation some I help with some like video animation work I produce a lot of the ads, a lot of the sponsored content. So I get to touch a lot of different parts of the business, which is really cool. And it is really awesome, you know, getting to work with like Bon Appetit and with like Vogue because of the talent that comes with it. Um, it's been really cool. <laughs> okay. I remember as listen- when I was listening to your episode today, you were talking about how in your company, it felt a little bit more, I wouldn't say like old school, but like the structure mm-hmm. yes. was a little bit older um, than compared to like a younger company. And so what do you think is the hardest part from going? Because you used to intern at Ketchum, right? Yes. So going from Ketchum to something like your company now. I think what was so nice about working for a small company is that if you have a big idea, it's so much easier to kind of like pitch it and try it out. Whereas for a big company, there are so many levels of approvals that like you don't even think about when you watch a video, you don't think about the legal team, you don't think about like all the different sponsored people that need to give consent, the celebrities need to give consent, like there are so many legal hoops that you need to jump through when you are working for such a big company that has so many eyes on it. And definitely just the age gap is kind of interesting. I mean, Condé Nast has been around since like the early 1900s, right? So it's super, super old. And there is kind of a hierarchy to the way things have been done. And they're trying to like shake it up in the entertainment studio given it is like a newer branch to the company, definitely is more open to change. But it's definitely a change of pace. Yeah. I always see um, your snaps when you were still back in New York. I was like, wow, she's living the life right now. Oh, I'm glad you thought so. (laughs) It's definitely not as glamorous as it looks on Instagram, which is kind of also why I started the pod. Everybody would be like, wow, like, how is New York? And I'm like, oh, if only you knew. (laughs) I think that comes with a lot of jobs. Like what other people see is so different from your reality. Because like with Mm -hmm. each job, there's, there's work that you just dread to do so bad. Yes. Like you don't want to do is what I mean. But then like the title of your job gives it like that glamorous Mm -hmm. sparkle to it, you know? So how did you get your position at Condé Nast? Oh my gosh. So that was kind of a shot in the dark. I really was so floored when I got that interview. 
So when I was at Ketchum, it was a 10 week long fellowship. And so I knew that there was an expiration date. I couldn't bank on getting a full-time job offer from them as much as I like the company. I just, I, I didn't want to risk it and not have a job. So I spent all summer applying to gigs and interviewing and Condé was actually one of the last jobs. Like it was towards the end of the summer and I had already secured it. Like I had already secured an offer from Ketchum. I had already secured an offer from another media company, ironically, two buildings away. So kind of mm-hmm. awkward. I ran into that hiring manager in Starbucks one day and like ducked. But um, <laughs> I had applied online and didn't expect anything because it's such a big company. And given they don't have any internship or fellowship program, that's part of why there is such a big age gap. They don't have a direct pipeline to hire like new talent out of college. And the position I applied for was not entry level by any means. So I was like, oh, well, it wouldn't hurt to just apply. So I like sent my resume off into the void. But then I am super active on LinkedIn. And just like look to see because sometimes on LinkedIn, if a job is posted, you can see what recruiter posted it. And it wasn't on the job description, but the recruiter had shared the job. And so I found the recruiter through there and like shot him a note. And I found the hiring manager and shot him a note. But it was like wild because after I messaged these two guys on LinkedIn, I saw in my email, the recruiter had already emailed me. And then I felt stupid. I was like, oh my God, that's so awkward. But it worked out. Um, And then I got to the interview rounds. And then it all progressed from there. Were the interview rounds what you expected? I would say it, it definitely was like kind of expected in the sense of the first interview was an HR screening. And then what I didn't expect was how many interviews I would have to do. Um, I had three interviews after the HR interview. So yeah, and it was like awkward because I was still working my job at Ketchum, but then would have to like take time off or like leave work early to interview. But I had two phone calls, one with actually wait, I had four interviews after the HR interview. Oh my gosh, I forgot how arduous this process was. But I had two phone calls, an initial phone call with the manager before he like pushed me off to interview with other people on the team. So I had HR interview was one. The second interview was a phone interview with my hiring manager. The third interview was with one of the directors that I would be directly supporting. And then I went to the office and in person met my direct team member and he interviewed me. And then I interviewed with the hiring manager again. So it was a process. Oh my it God. was terrifying. <laughs> I, mean, I bet. But, you know, it was all worth it. And now you're at a job that you love, right? Yes, it was definitely worth everything for sure. I'm really lucky. So with, um, you know, digital trends, I wanted to ask you, how do you keep up with that? Oh, goodness. How do I keep up with that? Conde has a billion and one emails that they send out every day on like what's trending, what our cover lines across um, the globe are and like what's performing well. And so I'm lucky in the sense that we have some really strong analytics people that kind of do it for us. (laughs) But other than that, I feel like it is just like I am a part of a lot of like design collectives and get a lot of their emails and then just like following things on Twitter and hashtags on Instagram, honestly. I, you know, I remember when I was like still doing PR at school, like following trends was so fun, but it can be so exhausting because it's yeah. so fast. I but- agree. And I think I did more trend following 
um, at Ketchum because it was PR and we had to focus on it. And now luckily I'm at a company where the PR team just tells me what to do. <laughs> what was um, the hardest thing when it came to adjusting to living in New York? Oh, I can't, I don't think there's one thing I could pinpoint. I think everything was a little hard because it was just such a culture shock. I mean, I went from the suburbs of Southern California to the suburbs of DC and Virginia. And then I went from that to the big city and I live in Manhattan. And I think I took for granted space. And Mm -hmm. I don't think I realized how expensive living in New York City would be and how much my lifestyle would have to adjust to accommodate living in New York City. I've been to New York quite a few times the last the end of last year and as um, as much as I like enjoy visiting I don't think I can live there so I don't know how you do it I honestly was in the same boat so there was a point in time I was like no I'm not moving to New York City like I don't think I can do it and then senior year just like had a come to Jesus moment and was like listen if you are ever going to be at a point in your life where you could put up with how challenging New York City is it's gonna be now when I'm like young in my 20s like unattached and like will put up with living in a shoebox because I was like there's no way I'm doing this when I'm 30 so I might as well get it out of the way now do you see yourself living in New York like longer or permanently I feel like I was finally starting to get comfortable before COVID-19 hit and I was like finally getting to the point where I was like, wow, I actually kind of have friends now. That's nice. And I kind of like have things to do and feel comfortable. Um, And I mean, when I first moved, I had the I had every intention of only staying for like two years and then moving back to L.A. But it's like it's almost been a year since I've moved to New York City and there's so much more I like need to accomplish I feel like I got here and then I realized like oh wait two years is barely enough time and so I think I'll be here for the next like three to five years I can see that you seem like you're really adjusting well to the New York City life though thank you I I think it gets easier that's what everyone has told me is that like after your first year everything feels easier so I'm I'm almost to my one year mark so hopefully things get easier. <laughs> so I also wanted to talk about, um, you know, you're already doing art related work at your actual job. And then you also freelance. And I think the like field of freelancing is so fascinating to me, because one of the biggest questions I have when it comes to freelancing is how do you find clients? How do you even get started? Oh, that's such a good question. Oh, man. So I I think it's slow. I feel like with freelancing, it's almost like an exponential line in the sense of like, once you get one good client, they tell your friends, like they tell their friends about you and then your client base kind of grows. But it's, it's definitely a slow start. And in college, I did freelance work and pro bono work for the Special Olympics. And they weren't paying me because I was still in school. But when I graduated, And they knew I graduated. They then started to offer to pay me to like do that work. And so that has been like awesome. Um, Unfortunately, the project I was working on for them this year has been canceled because of coronavirus, which really sucks because I was really looking forward to working on it. But other than that, I feel like it's a lot of word of mouth. Um, A lot of like sorority sister alumni have hit me up and that's been really great. 
And then I have an aunt who works um, for a big marketing company and she has recently been giving me a ton of freelance work, which I'm so grateful for because the extra income definitely helps. But yeah, I would say definitely like my biggest piece of advice would be like to be unafraid to solicit um, and like pitch yourself because you never know who's going to say yes. And like to not be afraid to reach out to your personal network because oftentimes it is like friends and family who don't have the biggest budget to hire, say, like a full agency. And as you start to like grow your relationships with them and other people notice your work, then the money kind of comes. It's funny that you mentioned that because I also wanted to ask you, I think, well, first, I think you're a very like confident girl. So how do you not underestimate yourself in your work, especially I feel like people who are into the arts or like design or making videos and photography, they underestimate themselves and they also underestimate their work. So how how do you overcome that? Oh, my gosh. I'm so flattered that you think I'm confident, but it is so terrifying, Um, especially because I feel like as a creative and as like when you produce your own work you have a certain attachment to it and graphic design in like college we called it like it's like baby syndrome you think it's your baby and you think it's perfect but other people obviously will not perceive it the same and a part of that is just having to really be self-aware and separate yourself from your work because you can't equate your self-worth with your work because that's just not a healthy way to live and to look at what you do. Um, And so, I mean, when I first started as a graphic designer, I was so, so like afraid of critiques and I hated them and I hated showing my work to people until I was like, sure, it was perfect, but that really inhibits your growth. And so it took a lot of like time and I think a lot of like self-reflection and growth, like just in terms of like age and maturity to really be like, okay, Lauren, you need to stop caring so much. Mm -hmm. And then that has kind of helped. But also I think the beautiful thing about graphic design is that oftentimes you could just shoot someone an email or a DM and you never have to see them in real life. And so if you get a no, it definitely hurts less. But just like putting yourself out there and like sending every email, trying everything. Like I recently secured a graphic design gig just by emailing a gym that I really liked because I couldn't afford it, but I loved it. And it was like, maybe we could do some like gig economy bartering to make this work. (laughs) But I took the initiative to make a few like sample gifts, a few sample um, graphics for them and then shot them the email and was like really genuine and open about it. And then the founder actually got back to me and was like, you are the first graphic designer that emailed us soliciting work that had actually taken the initiative to produce work. So I feel like it definitely helps if you can study a brand that you really like and then like show your worth in that sense. Because when you are reaching out to brands, they're not looking at you. Like they don't know what you can do. And it's an extra step for them to like click a link to your portfolio and look through it if you want to work with them, like put in the work up front. And I think that would go a long way. Wow, that's really good advice. And I think that's something that a lot of creatives don't realize is that you should put in that extra work Mm -hmm. to show what your work is like, instead of just pitching an email with an idea, but not being specific about it. Exactly. 
And I mean, it is, it, it's a risk. It is a risk in the sense of like, okay, here's like three hours of my time and like my billable rate, like that would probably equal like X amount of dollars. But at the same time, like as creators, we can't be so uppity and just expect people to want to work with us. Mm -hmm. Because they have so much options too, you know? Mm -hmm. You are so involved in like the creative design, whether it's your actual work or freelancing or just hobbies that you have. Have you ever experienced creativity burnout? Oh, burnout. What a good topic, Cass. Yes, burnout is so real, which is why I think it's so important to find balance and to only take on projects that you really care about, unless you really need the money, then like I get it. But burnout is so real. There are so many times where I just open my laptop and I'm like, uh, do I really want to do this right now? And then I feel bad because it's like, no, I chose to do this. I committed to this. Like I have to get it done. And so I think in recent like months, as my freelance work has taken an upturn, I've kind of like learned that I can't overextend myself and I have to be okay with saying no. I think that was the hardest part. I was like so keen on growing, right? That I said yes, yes, yes to everything. And then it got to the point where I was like dreading work and that's a no way to live, especially as a creative when your work is literally your life. So yeah. Yeah, I guess my biggest tip for burnout is to just take a step back and reprioritize. And do you have any like rituals or things that you do to find like new inspiration? I am a huge Pinterest person. (laughs) I love Pinterest. Um, So I like to look at Pinterest and sometimes it makes me feel bad about myself because I'm like, oh, wow, like, am I really like these people are so much more talented than me? Like what? And then imposter syndrome kicks in and I have to jump off that bandwagon. But I definitely love looking at Pinterest. And then when I'm like really feeling down about myself, I like will call up. I think it's important to have mentors, right? And I always hit up one of my mentors when I'm really feeling in a rut. And he tells it to me straight. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. And then we have like a really productive conversation. But yeah, I would say that's probably my ritual. Look on Pinterest feel bad about myself, but also be inspired to create better things and then hit up somebody that will hold me accountable. I think, yeah, that's probably my ritual. Now that I think about it, I never thought of it as a ritual, but looking back, I do that every single time. So I guess it is a ritual. (laughs) Okay. So before we wrap this whole episode up, do you want to give some advice or words of wisdom for um, recent graduates and also those that are thinking about going into graphic design? Totally. I would say, hmm, okay, I'm gonna pitch this as if it's like freshman year Lauren that I'm speaking to, because Lord knows how much I've grown since then. Um, So I'm gonna break it down. First is let go of all of your pride, because from pride stems your insecurities, you know, like you can't be too precious over your work. And the more you work at it, the better you'll get, which requires so much patience. Like Rome wasn't built overnight and neither is your graphic design portfolio. So just keep working at it and revising. I never like to think of any of my graphic design work as being final. Even when it's published, I'm going to look at it and see things that I want changed. And don't be afraid to revisit old things in your portfolio and spruce them up. And then also... Just don't be afraid to like really pitch yourself. 
because again, the worst someone could say is no, but even then at least like they're seeing your name, at least you're getting exposure and you never know who in your network or who you've come across is going to hit you up. So keep that in mind. Love that. All right. So where can people find you in your podcast? Ah, yes. yes. Thank you. So my personal Instagram is laurenlapid.jpeg. But my podcast Instagram, which you should follow if you want productive content, is at Rookies in the Real World. And that's our podcast name. We're on pretty much every big streaming platform. But yeah, that's where you could find me. Perfect. I will leave all your uh, handles in the description so that people can find Amazing. It. But thank you guys. Oh, well, actually, thank you, Lauren, for, <laughs> for joining me on today. Thank you, Jan. This was so fun. It was so good to catch up. Yeah, I remember when I first saw that you um, had a podcast, I was like, oh my gosh, I need her on like one of my episodes. And I'm so I need you on mine. <laughs> I'm so excited to be on it. Okay, and so yeah, that is it for today. I hope you guys learned some things from Lauren. She gave such great advice. And don't forget to check out her podcast as well. And until then, I will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Hello 20s. Let's get connected and continue our conversation over on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The links are in the show notes, so you're only one click away. I hope to see you there, and I'll talk to you guys in my next episode.